Welcome to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. I'm Tanya and I am a Christian. That's right. Tanya Witwer is with us again. Thanks so much for sticking around, Tanya. Absolutely fine. I think we just... I know I didn't stick around for a whole week. <laughs> Shh, <laughs> yeah, don't we... tell them that. <laughs> Letting people in on the secret that we record more than one episode at once. Uh, no, um, we are, we're going to have another conversation with Tanya because uh, I personally loved the last one so much. And um, Jacob reminded me that I took us off on a tangential topic that was not the topic we were <laughs> originally going to talk about. So now th- this time Jacob's going to lead the questions and we're going to talk about what we initially intended. And I'm just excited to hear more from Tanya. Well, we're going to talk about God and people and different perspectives. Perspectives, which is kind of what we did on on the last episode as well. But we might kick off this time talking a little bit more about God in a in a bit more depth. So we were talking about um, pronouns and and things like that, and how we see God. And the quote from the theologian whose name escapes me now, Mary, someone I think, who said that if God is male, Mary the male Daly. is God. Mary Daly. Thank you, Tanya. Mm-hmm. Um, typical, typical man, not remembering the name of the female theologian. I, I don't remember the names of the old white theologians either, so it's fine. Um, and, and so I wondered, Tanya, if you might share with us kind of your, your perspective from your experience or your um, study and explorations in theology. If we have this view of God as a man in some ways, and I, I suspect for most of us, um, or certainly for me a lot of the time, it's been kind of the, the old Gandalf with the beard kind of image that we associate with God the Father, in inverted commas, that, that part of God, that aspect of God's character. When we badge God in, in particular ways and with particular pronouns, are there things that we miss or, or are there things what what are there are there benefits even to seeing God in those particular ways? It's an interesting question. Certainly, if if we think about God as male, what does that really mean for the people who are not male? Um, are they somehow less? than those who are male because if God is male then doesn't that mean that the male can I don't know identify as somehow being closer to the divinity than those who are not male and I, I think I see problems two ways with that for a man I've never been a man so I don't know but doesn't mean that, that a sense of entitlement is more likely and all of the difficulties that come in relationships around that? Or does it mean that somehow maybe there's almost, I don't know, more pressure to kind of be more like the divine? You know, is, is there like kind some of women kind of might pressure get a that I've free never pass. felt? And on some aspects, maybe. That's an excellent question. I, what, what is your sense of what is God's perspective on that, 
right? Because I think it, it's it's one thing to talk about how that affects human beings and how we as people uh, work with this, but I mean, yeah, well, what does what does God think, and how does God play in that space? <laughs> Why don't you answer that question first, Jamal? I'd love to know what you're thinking about. This. I, well, I, it, it's a genuine question because, like, I don't know God, right? I I don't have a concept of God in my head. So, well, I, I, well, you say you don't, and yet everything you say tells me that actually you do. You know, it, it maybe not the God that I talk about or Jacob's talking about, but when I hear you talking about God. It doesn't sound to me like someone who has no concept of God. Mm. Okay. Well, or is it that because you're sort of outside of of the the sort of the the monotheistic tradition that you can see things more clearly that we're saying and reflect them back to us? I I, I don't know. Mm. I I mean I, I can give it a shot. I so. From my sense, I, I, I'm going to do what I do with Jacob a lot and kind of, you know, presume God. Um, f- from that perspective, I mean, I think we spoke about this a little bit last week, but the, the, the core tenet for me there is God is uh, inherent in everything, right? So that the God is part of everything, um, but also very much beyond everything. So, um, I mean, my... I guess my my instinctual reaction would be that God doesn't see gender as existent, right? Gender is a social construct. It's something that we, as human beings, use to, you know, neatly divide biological differences in ways that make sense and are easier to fathom, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I my sense would be that God doesn't see a distinction because something as trivial as biology does doesn't matter as much to God, um, but yeah, I, I that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. Yeah, I guess I mean I am interested in your perspective though as well, right? Because I think I th- there is a lot there is a lot about God that I think you as a Christian as a theologian probably understand. Um, even if we're talking about slightly different versions of God, you know, I think there there's a lot of that that I that I have no perspective of and would love to hear about. Yeah. I, I really like the words you used, that it's a trivial distinction that that doesn't that doesn't have meaning when it's talking about the relationship of God to humanity or God to an individual human person. And, and yet let, let me think about this a little bit further. I, I would want to say, God looks at us and sees us as we are, but somehow, well, certainly gender doesn't jump out as the first thing that God will see. (laughs) Um, It's not that God is denying our gender, whether it be male or female or or something else or both, Um, but that it's not part of what forms the relationship or the reaching out of God to the human um, that that isn't at all dependent on gender I think words I used last week were that gender is spiritually neutral um, and there's 
nothing that a person is within their being that makes them more worthy of a relationship with God than than someone who has different characteristics within their being. But I think we're saying the same thing, just in different words. It's an interesting follow-up question which you prompted there for me, which is, in the Christian conception, do our souls or spirits have genders? Certainly the creeds of the church, which are the, you know, the, the statements from way, 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 way back on what Christians believe, uh, the words say we believe in the resurrection of the body and the body is gendered. But when I suppose when I think about resurrection, all I know about being with God after death is that we are with God after death. And so it's it's not something that's terribly relevant to me. Does that sound a bit, I don't know, careless? <laughs> it, it's interesting thinking about it in that perspective because we talked a little last time um, around kind of the, the inadequacy of any one particular way of viewing God. And if, if you anthropomorphize God to to view God as human in some way, kind of parking Jesus for a moment, but yeah. that that you you're actually you're reducing God uh, and you and you don't see the full breadth and depth of the the mystery of who God is. And we have these metaphors about what life in the fullness of God might be like. And so we might talk about the the embrace of God or uh, scripture in Revelation and the prophet Isaiah talks about God wiping away every tear from our eyes and, and those kind of images. But like, but what is what is the embrace of God actually like if God is not an embodied person in the same way as we kind of are used to seeing it because our minds can comprehend it you know mm. we're limited to to comprehending the things that we know um yeah yeah i i i think that that's what it comes down to for me right if i'm thinking about this it's that that we are inherently limited in things that we understand and we always try to fit things into frameworks that we mm. that we understand right i you mentioned before Tanya that you know the idea that the body is the body is gendered I mean you know I mean from a personal opinion I would go even further than that and say well the body isn't inherently gendered the body has a sex uh, and yes. the, our, our position in society and in culture is gendered right so that to me that adds a layer to this idea that like you know in the afterlife in the resurrection you know if we are removed from the culture that genders us then even if we are resurrected in the body which has a sex, does that then inherently mean that there is a gender? Uh, clearly, yes. Yeah. And, and you know, I've already said that I'm being a bit careless in how I think, and certainly I haven't been differentiating in between the words gender and sex, but I do totally agree with the way that you do differentiate. But when you ask about, um, you know, is, is the soul gendered, mm. that's easy. Yeah. Well, no. But does the soul have sex? Well, mm. I don't mean an act of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> but, 
but does the soul have um, an attribute called of male or female? Well, no, that makes no sense to me. But then I need to think beyond that within the Christian framework of what does it mean about life after death because that is something within uh, that, that most Christians believe in um, is whatever exists after death something that that has um, biological sex well I don't see biology and what happens after death as being something that go together mm-hmm. you know to me um, at death the body starts to you know the biological processes are, are not about moving on into another life the biological processes are left behind they are the, the shell that stays with earth and to me that's where um, the sex of a person remains as well within that that shell that they carried with them as long as they were on earth the the way that you're talking about the um, how you know is biology even there and to what extent does gender matter has me wondering a bit about just our identity in general as human beings and what is it that kind of that that makes me me and there can there can be all sorts of aspects of that that I can become too attached to, right? So I, so I can, you know, I can disproportionately see myself as a, a husband or a man in, in some levels or attach myself to my work or whatever it might be and get my identity from that when that's not actually, that's not, that takes away from what God wants for me. But I, I'm also wondering about um, things like neurodiversity or the, the other ways in which human beings are different aside from gender and Mm. and that seems to me quite a bit of of kind of what makes us us what makes you you and me me and and jamal jamal is all, all those differences between us and how does that affect like maybe how does that affect how we see god but also like what of that carries on into eternity with god and the the aspects of well, who am I and the, the various pieces that make that up? I have a Buddhist answer for that one for you, which is nothing. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, Daniel, please. I have a friend who has cerebral palsy. Mm. And she is very clear that her identity as a Christian, her identity as a child of God, is as someone who has cerebral palsy. And she... You know, we talk about the the wholeness, the completeness, the healing of the resurrected one. Um, and for her, being healed of cerebral palsy would mean she was not her. Mm. That would be removing something that is actually integral to who she is. And I shouldn't be speaking on her behalf, um, but that's, that's where my head went to as you were talking jacob hmm. that sounds similar to um the hmm. rastafarian belief actually that that everyone is made in the image of of god and you know you can't um you know you can't almost desecrate you know, to to try and do something against i say a natural disease or whatever else would be to desecrate the body 
in a way that mm. God didn't intend. Famously, Bob Marley died of an in- infected toe that could very easily have been amputated, but he refused to amputate it because it would have gone against the Rastafarian belief. It does make me wonder a question that I've never thought of. You know, will, will there be wheelchairs in heaven? Because I, I do think about this sometimes in this life that the various things of you know, accessibility, for instance, and those kind of things are in some way a, a bringing of the kingdom of God or a connection of you know God's love for society, like the the fuller inclusion of all, and, and yeah, is there a, a full inclusion and a full healing that? It also means, yep, people might be in a wheelchair. I've never or, thought of or that. with the little harps, you know, <laughs> we could fly around with the little harps as sort of sort of jet pack things. Or, or, or are we so unrecognisable that it, it, you know, it doesn't actually matter anyway? And and it turns out that my identity right now is, you know, having legs is part of that for me, and it won't be then, and I don't care. Like, yeah. I find this fascinating because, like, this is so antithetical to the Buddhist perspective, right? Like, the Buddhist perspective is the exact opposite. It's that nothing makes up your identity. Your identity is just a kind of misconstrued sense of self. So, you know, if you have, uh, you know, there's a famous story around um, uh, the, I think the head of one of the big hospitals in Singapore who was visited by um, by Ajahn Brahm, I uh, was giving him a tour and said, you know, yeah, and they went to like the, the schizophrenia ward and, and Arjun Brahm was like, oh, how do you treat schizophrenia? And the, and the head of the hospital turned around and said, well, I don't treat schizophrenia. And, you know, the idea was that you're, that a patient in that hospital is not a schizophrenic. Like they're not, that is not their identity. That's not some, you know, large, you know, defining thing about them. They're a person who occasionally has psychotic episodes um, that are in a pattern that we label schizophrenia. But, like, you know, the, the head of that hospital is like, well, I treat the rest of the patient. I treat the person there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which goes to that Buddhist sense of, you know, yeah, you're not any one thing. And that to try and say that, you know, I am, you know, a person with a particular condition or I am a person with a particular ethnicity or a particular gender, as we've been talking about, you know, all of those are just essentially delusions in Buddhism. And that, that has a lot of appeal for me. Yeah. Um, so so the, the Christian church traditionally, as I said, has had this um, belief in the resurrection of the body and the continuation of the individual identity um, following death. And all I can say is I don't know, but I'm also not worried. You know, whatever... God's design is is fine by me, and I'll go along for the ride, however long that ride is. <laughs> this is maybe a tangential question, but we we love tangents on this podcast. Um, is there a sense in which I, I guess I, I'm really interested in this idea of the soul and the body and the experiences of the soul as you know a human or as however we are represented in this world, and kind of god's concept for us and all that but like is there a sense in which some of these things these identity-based things that we're talking about that that it's almost like god puts our souls into those situations because those are the experiences that 
are needed or, you know, in Buddhism we'd call them karmic, but like, you know, that those are the things that we need to learn or the ways that we need to grow and develop that, you know, that God is essentially giving us the the identities that we have as a kind of tool um, for, you know, better growing and understanding and developing our souls. I, I'm not quite sure what God's end plan for fully mature, developed souls are, but, you know, something along those lines. How do you respond to that, Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the toughest question of the day, and she drops me in it. No, it, I, I kind of, I have an issue with the idea that life is kind of training in some ways, and, and that God is is putting us in particular. But but see, yeah, you run into trouble with that very quickly because God does stretch us and grow us in in various ways, and. <clears throat> I would say something along the lines of that that we learn love more deeply and fully in this life from whatever situations that we're put in. But I, I wouldn't want to say that God puts us in every situation or most situations so that we can learn something or grow in a particular way. But if God is all and in all, then every situation in which we find ourselves um, we also find God there, um, and we find God's love there working through us as well as through others. And so maybe there's an aspect of that where life is a, a discovery, that there is nothing too far from God and there is nowhere that love doesn't reach. Uh, and, and so maybe we're learning in that respect. That would be my first sketch at, at something there. I think that's beautifully put. And, and I guess the idea that... God has a plan, you know, a growth plan, a development plan for each of us doesn't sit easily with me. I I understand that, yes, I am a child of God, beloved by God, but that there is something, you know, that, that I have autonomy. Um, autonomy even to the point that if I decide to turn my back on God, God's not going to zap me. You know, I hope I never make that decision. But that that presence of God, the, the love that is there that, that we can swim in as we're mm. facing each situation, I think, um, yeah, absolutely central, Jacob. Mm. And I do wonder, I'm kind of going through this, this phase at the moment so you should always be careful when you're discovering something new and reading interesting theology and doing whatever but um just thankfulness seems to me to be such a big part of that as well because there's love but there's also seeing experiencing things as gifts from god uh, mm -hmm. and the way that that changes mm -hmm. our perspective on the world now perspective on kind of good things and bad things i guess that happen to us in life uh, and and maybe learning to be thankful is part of that mm. as well mm. and, and i said that i, I you know I, the, the idea of god having an individual plan for us just didn't sit easily with me but and this is where i went by thinking about gratefulness i certainly do believe that that god's wish for each of us is that we do have life in all its fullness God wishes for each of us the 
the best. So So what you're saying is God's motto is YOLO? (laughs) I I have to look on Jacob's face. (laughs) (laughs) I think God probably keeps up with um, language and culture a whole lot better than I do. I've I've got some friends. So so YOLO for the the non-millennial demographic, because probably the alphas have no idea what we're talking about either. That's true. If we have any... Hello to all the alpha listeners that are out there. Um, YOLO is, is you only live once. Um, but I've got some friends who adapted that in university to YOLF, which is you only live forever. And that was kind of their, their Christian subversive take on the culture. I, I also love how YOLO, also, YOLO was actually invented by the drummer of the Grateful Dead and actually when speaking with him initially meant um, you only live once so like, Dive headfirst into thing and make make proper commitments, rather than you only live oh. once. So go party all so the time. So kind of like Kierkegaardian. Yes, yeah. supposedly he used it as like a way of describing like an instinctual but like deeply invested purchase of a ranch that he was going to buy, and like then had to spend ten years like you know fixing up into being his ideal home, and like that was his YOLO. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in, on a kind of like on a on a serious note, on like kind of, I guess, what do we do with life and that, mm. that how we're, where we're navigating that is, I think that the the way that you put it, Tanya, that God wants each of us to have life in abundance is to to me, it's connected with God as Creator. Um, like if, if God has made each of us and crafted each one of us through, you know, various processes and there's, there's natural means in there and everything else. But, if, but if, if God's fingerprint is on each one of us, then it, it's almost a, a shame for God to see any of us not having the fullness of life that God intended us to when we were created. Yeah, not flourishing. Yeah, yeah. which which I think you could extend that even to creation mm. as well. Like, sorry, the, that's a human part of creation, but the the broader creation and ecosystems and those kind of things and that flourishing. Sorry, Jamal. No, no. Well, I was going to say I, I think that um, that to me lends strength to I think the argument that I think all of us in the room probably agree with, which is that you know going back to kind of the the place of women in the church and stuff, right? That 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 to not allow a full level of service and contribution and participation is to kind of deny God's will for for their people, right? Mm. And even, you know, for for little people who are in, you know, the early stages of development, uh, um, to not see leadership of someone who looks like them, whether that's about colour or gender or whatever it happens to be about if they're not seeing someone like them in leadership what does what does that mean for the individual and and their flourishing i think it's a problem mm-hmm. um and actually i th- this is really going way out on a tangent Oh, um, welcome to the podcast tanya you you really belong now <laughs> you've done it um for some reason, it, it took me to thinking about, you know, some of those programs where people who have been adopted find their, mm. find their family and all in 
camera so you you know every ounce of emotion is there for the world to see and something that i've heard at least a few times on the few programs that i've watched to see to look in the face of another person and see someone that looks like you is just so uh, what's the word satisfying is too small a word but it's mm. overwhelmingly positive that you can see someone like you and and so i think about that and i and i think about this idea of flourishing um that within the family that is the christian church we need to see people who are like us um being prepared to talk about god being prepared to to lead the rituals of of the group and those kind of things i think like i said it's a tangent but it, it appeals to me we need to see people like us but as the the representative Christian white man on the podcast I'd, I'd add to that that we also need to see and experience others and absolutely different perspectives and and even different languages and different metaphors um, to God so if I think about the the church where I'm serving at the moment um, or kind of part of that anyway it, we've uh, got children leading parts of the liturgy like you know as, as young as seven or eight um, and and we hear differently. We get a different insight into who God is from that. We've we've got a number of preachers um, actually in that context at the moment, and something that's a real we're we're getting there. But it's been a challenge to um, encourage some of the older people to could they perhaps preach one Sunday, um, and and that. The reason for asking is because I want to hear what the Holy Spirit's given them to say. And, and, I, and if we talk about the image of God, where we jumped off last episode, that male and female, like it's humanity in its entirety. Uh, and Paul talks about the, the church as being the body of Christ. And so he, he uses all of this imagery of like the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. And the nose can't say to the foot that I don't need you like that. That's the, the church in its full diversity as well. And we miss something not only of what God wants to give us, but also of who God is when I'm only hearing voices like mine. Absolutely. And, it, and, and not just within that sort of worship setting either, but mm. we, we absolutely need the diversity of God's people in, in all dimensions to be doing theology whether it's interpreting the Bible or whether it's it's living um, the good Buddhist life. You know? um, because if we're not hearing all the voices, it's quite likely that we can be left within assumptions that we've made because of who we are and, and who we mix with. Whereas to be to have doors open beyond that is just really exciting. I wonder, Jamal, from a Buddhist perspective, kind of whether bits and pieces of this resonate with you, because we're having, I feel like we're having a very Christian conversation Christian. over here, which is lovely. Absolutely. And I, two Christians together and they totally <laughs> exclude I'm, I'm learning a heap, though. I love this. And, and I, I think I know you well enough to, to say that from a, a personal perspective and a societal perspective, you'd say, yes, diversity is was wonderful and important. 
it, it, theologically within Buddhism, is there is there value to that and hearing different voices? Um, so there's absolutely value to it. I think it's a different theological take just because I think, you know, we go back to that real core Buddhist tenet that all identity is delusion of a certain kind, right? So, you know, I think it's valuable to hear different voices and different perspectives and a diversity of people teaching the Dharma, but that's because it's easier to understand things from people who share your experience, right? So, you know, it's... So so it's about hearing voices that have a shared experience with you rather than the other so much from from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's important for people... It's important because it is a useful and more, I guess, accessible way of learning the Dharma. You know, so if I'm listening to, uh, again, I think, you know, as a, um, you know, as a brown person, but culturally was raised in Australia, one of the reasons I like someone like Ajahn Brahm is because he articulates things in a way that culturally I can understand from a Western perspective, right? He's a British monk, spent time in in Thailand, but, you know, now teaches from Australia. And so he will use analogies and references and ways of teaching that uh, culturally I understand. But also, similarly, you know, I really enjoy listening to Southeast Asian monks, right? Because they uh, can often really speak in a way that, um, you know, I mean, we won't get into all the the intricate the, the the trickiness of my own kind of mixed identity and the the separation from various parts of it. But you know, there there, there is something kind of inherent in me. But yeah, I do look at at people that look more like me, or uh, you know, can make references or cultural um, have have connections to things that that are more like me that that make sense. And actually. The, the best example of that is I decided that I was going to become a Buddhist, like properly call myself a Buddhist in Cambodia. You know, I had spent years in Australia uh, researching, you know, reading, listening, learning stuff, and I was most of the way there. But the thing that tipped me over the edge was being in a Buddhist country that felt like, you know, a place that I was kind of, culturally from historically and you know something that that wasn't you know because i've never quite felt that about australia Mm. and so it was going to southeast asia and going to cambodia and and being in a place where where it was such an ingrained part of the culture there it was that familiarity that pushed me to kind of declare myself a buddhist and you know kind of kind of name that right whereas yeah some of the teachings i hear from more western monks make more sense to me and so yeah i I think that does have a layer in Buddhism, but again, that layer is dropped as you go through the process where you learn to drop identity. You learn that, you know, my identity as a person of a particular culture or as a male or as, you know, Jamal or as anything else is are layers that I don't need and are not inherent. Yeah, when I go through that, it, it falls away, but certainly at the early stages, it's very important. Hmm. And and I heard you saying yes and as well. I heard you talking about um, identification with, like contextually, um, the Buddhist, or I'll call it spirituality. I don't know what name to give it. 
made most sense to to you within that Cambodian context. But I, I then heard you talking about Australians and being able to, Australian Buddhists being able to hear something different there or, and and to me that's, that's yes, like me, yes, fresh and different. Um, and, I, and I think that's what we're saying as well about um, theologians uh, within the, the Christian world, that we need to hear the diversity of voices, but we also, um, we want that point, or, or we, that point of identification is helpful as we are journeying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of a journey, it reminds me of a, oh, I a wondered time. if this was coming. Yeah, <laughs> always, always coming. I'd, I'd been waiting. I'd been waiting. <laughs> the, the, waiting there was no I easy in. Might run out of time. I I never walked into a bar. Okay, I, I hope every week, Tanya, and yet somehow we're always walking into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this Christian and this Buddhist journey into a bar, right? And then they they rock up to the bar. Um, and you know this this time in the bar they see they see um, Noah sitting around in the bar right and and, and Noah's yeah, yeah. And, and voiced Noah's, by Sean Connery this is how Eddie Izzard does Noah voiced by Sean Connery voiced by Sean Connery nice I I can't do a Sean Connery voice so I'm not gonna well that's a shame I can't do one either clearly <laughs> that was really bad <laughs> it was appalling um, so, I'll cut it so so Noah's in the bar uh, and Noah's got like all this fishing gear. And it's like, you know, big fishing rod, buckets, everything, whatever else is sitting around. Uh, and it's a gorgeous day outside, right? And like perfect day for fishing. And the Christian and the Buddhist walk in and go, Noah, like, wh- why are you here in the bar? Like, why aren't you out fishing? What's going on? And Noah just sits there and is like, yeah. And then got two worms. <laughs> I'll pay that. Yeah. I'll pay that. That one was decent. You, yeah. you got a grin out of Tanya. So, okay. so you're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, look, that is all we have time for today. Um, but thank you so much, Tanya. That was a really insightful conversation. I, I, I loved that. I, um, I, I almost didn't want to put a joke in there because it felt like it would have demeaned the, the, the depth that we got into in that conversation. But, but th- thanks for sticking around and thanks for being here with us. Thank you, Tanya. It's been an absolute joy having you on. It's been fun. All right. See well, you later. Thank you. Yes, um, this has been Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. We can be found at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. Send us through um, your ideas, and if you have any guests you want us to chat to, uh, link us up. Absolutely. The music is by Kevin McLeod. Yeah, and uh, we would absolutely love you to send this podcast to your friends, uh, you know, tell everyone about the bar. Uh, you might see you there next time.